Well, as we continue in worship, if you would, uh, that Bible I know is in your hand, um, turn it over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've been making our way through this letter, and uh, we've come to uh, verses 9, uh, excuse me, not 9, uh, 12 through 19, rather, in uh, chapter 15 of, verse, of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> and Paul has been uh, dealing with a church, he's been writing to a church that has uh, gone through quite a bit, right? They've, had, they've kind of been all over the place. Um, he's had to deal with a lot of different issues and concerns and uh, the things in which they wrote to Paul, we learned this from chapter 7, verse 1, things uh, that they have corresponded with him, questions they've had about the gospel. Paul is addressing those, and he comes to chapter 15 where he really unfolds the gospel, right, and the fact of a risen Savior. And you have some in the church who, who are, are struggling with this belief, right? Not only maybe that Christ rose, but, you know, they've looked upon, they, say, they may say, well, I'm not so sure of that. Uh, others are saying, well, um, maybe Christ did rise. I mean, he's, he's different than anyone else. And Paul, you say you saw him, right? There's all that going on. And, and yet you have some going, I don't know about us. I don't know about followers of Jesus Christ. Do they rise as well? Or will they rise? And so Paul is dealing really with that focus. And it's very central, right, to Paul that, he, that we understand the gospel, right? I mean, he has come through chapter 15 with a confessional statement, and he has stressed these words, I have declared this, I have preached this, and he puts it all in the context of the scriptures, right? He has come and said, Jesus died according to the scriptures, verse 3, right? And then verse 4, Jesus rose the third day, right? He was buried, he rose the third day according to the scriptures, right? And so Paul is dealing with uh, a band of, of believers here, this young, this young church, and they are struggling with belief. They're struggling with saying, you know, I'm not so sure about this. I don't know if you've ever come across a person who likes to pick and choose what they believe out of the Bible, right? I like this part, not so much that part, right? I like the God of the New Testament, the one of the Old. He just seems, I don't know, uh, like he's cranky, right? Um, but God never changes, right? He's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. So we see profound mercy and grace in the gospel in the New Testament. And Paul has this understanding that when we come to this, there are things we must believe, right? We must believe about the resurrection. And part of that is he attaches the very act of Jesus uh, overcoming the grave and, and coming up out of the tomb. He attaches that to the fact that you and I will as well, right? Be, be risen, rather, on the last day. And he says, if you don't believe this, right, then Christ hasn't risen. A pretty bold statement, right? It's as if, you know, you look at, at Paul's theology and he has this understanding of all the scriptures, right? And he's referencing the Old Testament and he's grabbing all that and saying, look, he fulfilled it. It's almost as if he's saying, I don't care what you think, right? This is who Jesus is, right? And this is what he's done. And there was an actual body that was buried. There was an actual body in the tomb and an actual body came out of that tomb, right? This is who he is. And he's, he stresses upon them that you don't get to pick and choose, Right? This is how Christ overcame the world. And he has a, a pastor's heart. You see the firmness here. But there is a desire in Paul that those who might be struggling with doubt would come to an awareness and a conviction and a confidence that, that, that God is. God has done this. God didn't fail. Right? He says at the beginning of chapter 15, unless you've believed in vain, 
right? And then he comes in, he shares this, this wonderful testimony about who he is that he overcame, right? Paul, the least of the apostles, I've been redeemed by God's grace, saying my name, but his, his grace to me wasn't in vain. He's very confident of that. And he's saying in this, in all of Scripture, we see this, this character of Jesus, right, who's, who's mapped out for us. And at the, almost the center of Jesus is the gospel, right? And at the center of the gospel is this fact that he died, he rose, and, and uh, he's come up out, and it's like the anchor to everything. And it's as if Paul's saying, look, if you take this anchor now and you toss it aside, you toss the gospel aside. That's how firm he's, he's writing. And that's, but it's not just, hey, you know, get a grip here. He's saying, do you understand the waters that you're treading in? Do you understand that if you jettison this, and he's not saying it's, it's, you should never have a doubt. Don't, please don't hear me say that. I understand that the scripture at times can, can stretch us, right? If it isn't stretching you and convicting you, I can tell you you're not reading it, right? And it can do those things. He's not questioning that we have doubt, but that we continue to press harder into the Bible, that we continue to seek and to understand. We trust the Holy Spirit to give us instruction. So this is what he's saying to this church, right? Some who are, who are questioning, who are doubting, who are on this verge of saying, I'm not so sure. He says these words beginning in verse 12, and I'll read through 19 of chapter 15. He says, now if Christ is preached, right, which is what he's done, he says, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Let me offer a brief prayer. Lord, we thank you again for this time that you've given to us. I ask that as we look to your word that your Holy Spirit would be with us, teaching us and instructing us to right thinking and understanding. And Lord, I ask, as always, please get me out of the way that every thought in life would be fixed upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we jump into this, I just, I just reminded myself, uh, I just thought of this. Uh, you'll notice in your notes that um, I gave you all the answers, right? Some of you were struggling, and I thought, you know, I'll just help you out. No. Um, <laughs> You know, as I continue to, it's just a brief note, as I continue to learn and to uh, look to the Word and how, you know, what's, what, what's happening on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, I don't want you on a Sunday morning to, to have to worry about filling in the blanks or fishing for those things or focusing on that. You know, I want to fill, I don't know if you're like me, I can't leave one empty. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, I'm pretty soon that's the goal and not what actually the Lord is speaking. So I went ahead and just put everything in there. The only thing will be on the screen is, uh, is the title screen, and then if there's cross-reference verses, I'll put up. So you can focus on what the Lord is, is saying in this text, and what he's saying to the church. 
So that's my desire behind that, and that's why they're all filled in for you. But as we look at this, we've we come to this passage, right? And Paul has, has once again been Paul. His theology is on display, right? I mean, we can read this again and say, gee, Paul, what do, you, what do you honestly think about this, right? We know exactly what he thinks about this. He believes in the resurrection of Christ, and he says, look, if you don't rise, there's no resurrection of the dead. All of this is, is futile, right? He, he ties the resurrection of Christ to the resurrection of every believer, to, to jettison one is to jettison the other. And, and here's Paul's conviction, right? That the Christian faith comes from really who Christ is, what Christ has done, what he's accomplished, right? These objective truths. And it's not built upon your feelings or desires, right? Well, that's part of it, absolutely. The truth begins objective and then it goes subjective and it, and it moves us, right? We have emotions for the Lord, I love uh, on Sunday morning when uh, we're up here, I get the honor of, of leading in worship, and I get to hear your voices. And I, I'll just be honest, I like it. I love it, right? I love to hear voices because we know each other, right? And so we're encouraged when we hear our brothers and sisters sing. But Paul is, is, is attached all this together, and he said, look, it's not on your feelings, it's not on your emotions, it's on the fact of what Christ has done. So for Paul, if the resurrection did not happen, right, we are still in our sins. We become as a church a joke, right? I mean, it's pointless to assemble. If the resurrection didn't happen, Jesus is absolutely no better than some other rabbi teacher. He's no better than John the Baptist. If the resurrection didn't happen, Peter, James, Andrew, and John... Right, should have just gone back to the boat, found their father, right? Hey, I'm still sitting here waiting. Uh, if you're familiar with, they left their father in the boat, okay. Uh, when Jesus called them, right? No, he's not there. But they would just simply go back to what was going on. And we don't see any of that, do we? We don't see any of that in the testimony. We don't see that in any of it in the disciples. We don't see any of that in, in, when Paul mentioned who Christ appeared to. We don't see any of those things. We actually see the opposite. We see a bunch of disciples who are willing to lay down their lives, right? The truth. So when we come to this, uh, this, this passage, you know, it's, Paul has a loads of, of, there's logical connections here. There's a chain of thinking that he just unfolds for us. And you can't jettison one without, you know, the rest of it. And, and looking at this, pa- <clears throat> excuse me, this passage, hold on, <clears throat> looking at this passage, it's, it's difficult. I like to always present everything in a positive way, and Paul is coming with all these negatives. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, right? And so I want to look at this uh, by simply addressing what is really going on with, with this opening question in verse 12. When Paul addresses this church and he says, look, he is, I have mapped out this confessional statement. In this church, there's divisions. There are some who follow Paulos. There are some who follow uh, Cephas. There are some who follow Paul all right, and Jesus. And it's, it's no coincidence that he begins by the, the testimony of those who saw Christ with Peter. Right? He's probably thinking that whole group now is believing, yeah, he's, he's risen. And so he's dealing with this other lower element that, of, the, of humanness, right? The humanist that says, if it, if it doesn't make sense to me, right? I don't know if I can believe. I didn't see it with my eyes. And so with that thought, I come to this, my first point of verse 12, and I say believing Christ's resurrection affirms God's ability, 
right? Because that's what we're all ultimately doubting here. How can you doubt the overwhelming evidence, right? And again, they're not so much. Uh, some are questioning Christ. They're questioning like the actual resurrection of believers will happen. They're looking upon those who have gone on. They know and understand how bodies decompose. And this is where they're saying, it just doesn't make sense to me. If it doesn't make sense to me, Paul, it's probably not correct, right? There's the human thinking. And so Paul simply says, with everything I've just said, how is it that there are some, right, who still question the resurrection of the dead? And, and this is a question, right, that, that we, would, we would hear today. I mean, there are some who won't believe on Christ because they would say, I just can't believe the resurrection of the dead. I think Christ has, has been preached for over 2,000 years. Christ has been proclaimed. These testimonies have been said, right? And Paul is a primary witness. He said, you know, I obtained letters to extinguish these people attached to the way. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him. Right? He is a primary witness, and he says, look, this is who that it is. And, and to say right, to this church that the resurrection of the dead doesn't happen is to jettison everything Paul has said. It's to jettison his theology. It's to, to jettison, right? and, and by jettison I mean just throw away, right? uh, the gospel. And so why is it that some today question? Well, there is a faith element there. But really, I think it boils down to this human element of saying, look, if it doesn't make sense to me. And when we make that statement at that moment, we are above Scripture, right? We are above everything. If you can't prove it to me, and it's not to say that we come into Christianity mindless or we shouldn't think. Christianity is logical. It's intelligent. It's smart. We also know that some things do take faith. And Paul's confidence is simply to say, look, if you're, you're doubting this, if this is a moment where you think the resurrection of the dead doesn't happen, he's simply saying, well, you probably don't have Christ. There's a moment in which you've believed in vain. That's his wording, and that's his stress. Because this is the idea, right? When we get this today, and some say, well, you know, if science has improved this, this is the idea of empiricism, right? Empiricism is a, a philosophy, a religious, a philosophy of religion based on experience, if I didn't experience this, we can't be true, right? And this has been, I mean, Aristotle taught on this, and to the presence, it's been developed, and we have people who use sensory data to prove or disprove God. I mean, that's where they, that's where they resonate. And so you really have, in this Corinthian church, you have some who are saying, look, if I can't, if it doesn't make sense to me, if I can't reason this out, I'm not going to believe it. There's some things in Scripture we have to believe by faith. And Paul is attaching this very element of the resurrection of the dead to the very fact of your salvation. But see, it goes on a little bit more, and this might resonate to our day. I love this quote by Gordon Clark, speaking of empiricism. He says, This method of philosophy basks in the prestige of astounding, right, of astounding scientific advances. If science can put men on the moon, then the scientific method can prove the existence of God if perchance there exists a God to be proved. <clears throat> See, this, this moment, this defining moment today, it's, it's called postmodernism, right? If there's truth, it's a lowercase t and it's relative to the person. If I didn't experience it, it didn't happen, right? The question of uh, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Right? Well, if I'm not there to hear it, it didn't make a sound, right? No, of course it makes a sound. 
when we were camping uh, one time, me and my brothers and my dad, and we were sleeping out, my camping growing up was on the ground. My dad throw a tarp out, get your bag, we're camping, right? And we didn't know any different. What's a tent? Right? We know what that is, but um, there was a time, that wasn't too long ago, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago now, we were laying up above Shaver Lake, and we were camping on the ground, and, and I was awoken in the middle of the night to one of my brothers saying, did you hear that? Right? And I remember thinking, what? What did you hear what? Right? I'm thinking, Sasquatch, right? You know, something like that. <laughs> my dad would always call him Heidi Behinds. Was it a Heidi Behinds? Right? Does anyone else have Heidi Behinds? Father that tormented you? Every time you flash your flashlight, they'd hide behind the trees or hide behind. Okay. Now you know why I am the way I am right there. <laughs> but I was awoken, right, to my, my brother saying, did you hear that? And the rest of my brothers and my dad, there was four of us, right, and, and my two brothers and my dad, and they were like, man, that was one big tree that dropped close by. And I'm thinking, what? what? Right? And so, I, I'm, I, honestly, I'm sure the, the tree shook the ground. That's probably what woke me up. And, and I, I thinking, all I heard was like, are you guys sure? I mean, it sounds made up, right? I didn't hear it. And so, of course, we developed this joke that if, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Well, three out of four guys say yes, right? <laughs> <clears throat> that was our ongoing joke because I honestly, to this day, didn't hear it. But see, that's what's going on. That's the stress behind this passage. You have some, some in the Corinthian church who are looking upon this and going, if I can't reason this out, it really didn't happen. See, that's what postmodernism says, and this is the human thing. But it's bigger than that. It's not just saying the gospel is gone. And for us today to say that the resurrection doesn't happen, we have to question the ability of God. Could, could God really pull this off? Was he, was he really able to do this? And it's interesting, as you know, in my, my reading, I was going through uh, Matthew 13, and, and where Jesus is questioned. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Is it that bad? Okay. Where Jesus is questioned by his disciples, and they're asking him, why do you speak in parables? Right? Why do you do this with the people? And he, he quotes Isaiah 6, uh, 10, 9 and 10, where, where the Lord has commissioned Isaiah to say, go to these people and tell them that they have ears, but they don't hear, and, and, and uh, eyes, but they don't see, right? And it goes on to this. And in, in Matthew, the parallel here, he says in Matthew 13, 14, and 16, he says this. He says, and to them, <clears throat> the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. He's telling his disciples, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. The ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have, uh, they have closed. At least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I would heal them. And he turns to his disciples, and he says this, But blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears, for they hear. See, there's two kinds of, of reasoning here. Simply, Jesus is saying, you perceive and you understand the gospel. Right? You understand this, I'm giving you the parables. And, and yet today, if we don't see and perceive, if we don't hear and understand, the church or the people or, or those outside would simply say, I'm not so sure I believe what is going on. I don't believe there's a resurrection of the dead. See, the, the Corinthians were in danger. I'm not simply saying, well, I can, I can believe on Christ and, and, 
and jettison, right? They were not perceiving and understanding scripturally the very way that Paul had come to them. Christ has come according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose on the third day according to the scriptures. I have declared this to you as an objective truth. And to back that up, Paul even says, I'm a primary source. I have seen him, but his focus is on what? The Bible says this, and you must not question the ability of God. See, this is why this is so important. I think Paul has some insight into human beings, right? Today, I know, uh, um, and it's true to Paul's day as well, right? Human beings are never neutral regarding God. Our hearts, as the Bible speaks of our hearts, it's either moving towards God or away. There's never a, a place of neutral. You're either growing towards him or away from him. And that's true in philosophical books. And Ronald Nash, uh, his book, Life's Ultimate Question, says the very same thing. Human beings are never neutral with regard to God. Either we worship God as creator and Lord, or we turn away from him. And Paul has this idea. You're, you're approaching this with, with human eyes, and you're trying to reason this thing out. But he's saying you're actually rejecting so much more. Rejecting God's ability. See, the Bible doesn't give right? Neutral ground. There's only two spiritual families. There are those who are in Adam, born in Adam, and there are those who are saved who are in Christ. There's no neutral ground. And Paul is coming to this church and saying, it's not just a matter of saying, I like being saved. I like what Jesus did, but I question this. He's saying, no, you're questioning all because you're not perceiving all of what the scripture says. You're not understanding. You're not hearing So I think today it's, it's important for us. It's, it's okay to come to Scripture and, and wonder, maybe question, struggle through passages, but we must never come to a place to, and we read Scripture and says, look, uh, Christ overcame. How can you say today the, the dead will not rise? And, and to say, well, I, I, can, I can jettison that because it doesn't make sense to me. But in this moment, you have to realize that you're jettisoning everything. So Paul says it's not just a matter of affirming the resurrection. You're affirming God's ability. God sent his son. He so loved the world. I mean, that's a great Hallmark story, huh? God so loved the world. That's great. But it's horrible to think he couldn't do anything about it. So we come to this moment. Affirming and believing Christ's resurrection affirms God's ability. This goes right into the next point. It affirms God's authority. Right, listen to, to how Paul reasons this out now. He says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God, and that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. Right? There is no hope if Christ did not come out of the tomb. Paul, lovingly or or wonderfully, whatever adjective you want, he attaches this all together, and you see his logical thinking. You really cannot deny the resurrection of the dead without denying Christ, right? You see him unfold this. All our hope in life and death is attached to the fact that Christ has overcome the grave. I don't know about you, that's good news. He overcame the grave, right? So to question or doubt the resurrection is to question and doubt not only God's ability, but his authority, His authority as creator. 
right? And this is the ongoing, the ongoing tactic of the evil one, right? This is the, the original lie. We know, as the Bible says, Satan is the god of this world, lowercase g, and he loves to lie. He's the father of lies, and this is the ongoing lie. Satan's original rebellion challenged the authority of God. It challenged God's right to rule over his creation and his creatures. It challenged God's right to obey. It challenged God's right to be believed. That was from Dwight Pentecost in his book, Your Adversary, the Devil. So we come to this and we think, well, how, does, how is he lying to us today? And there is a cascading effect here. And the first one I said is, is if the enemy can get you to doubt Scripture. Right? Paul says it like this, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Right? The word preaching means content. Right? What we proclaim, the content we proclaim is empty. And then empty simply means without content. Right? You're without content, preaching no content. Right? That's what he's saying. But think about it for a moment. If you think about how the, our adversary operates, isn't this the original lie? Isn't this the, the starting point, right, uh, of, of everything that comes to a, to a person's life when he begins to doubt or question God's authority? We question Scripture. Doubt is a tool of Satan to, to take confidence away from you, confidence away from God's Word, right? Confidence in believing Him. The word to doubt simply means to lack confidence or to consider unlikely. Have you heard today some come to Scripture and read verses and say, that sounds unlikely? Well, here we have it, right? In Genesis 3, Satan introduced doubt into Eve's mind when he asked, did God actually say? Did he really say that? I mean, that one tree... Did you not eat of that tree? Are you sure that tree? We're talking of the same garden. Right? What is he doing? He's questioning her confidence in God. So this is why is this so important? Because this is the precipice. This is, this is where you stand or fall. This is everything. See, once you and I have questions or doubts of the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, everything it says we're going to come into doubt with, Right? So if we were to take this position, if you were saying, well, there's some things I don't, I don't agree with or some things I struggle with or whatever it might be, but if I disbelieve some of it, then we have to come to this passage. We have to look into Paul's eyes and say, Paul, you were wrong to declare the gospel. You were wrong to preach this gospel. The gospel you received and that the one you delivered is wrong. The fact that Jesus came and he died according to the scripture is wrong. The fact that he rose from the grave, this is wrong. That would have to be our conclusion. Now, this morning, saying it like that, I know many of you would say, well, that's no, we don't doubt that, but what is Paul doing? If you, if you question this, everything now is in jeopardy. And this is the cascading effect. See, it begins here. If we just a little bit of doubt, did God really say? Did he really say? Because it goes from doubting Scripture to naturally the second part here, of doubting God, right? Paul says it like this, and if Christ is not risen, your faith, your faith is empty. Not only the content we're preaching is empty, right? And uh, your faith is empty. Faith is to believe. Pistos, the Greek word, right? To believe in the good news. This good news now is faulty, right? There is no such thing as good news, right? There's nothing to believe in, right? Now, being here this morning and, and believing in God, the fact that you're here, there is an element of saying, I trust the gospel. 
I believe Christ rose from the grave, right? I believe this. And I know when you were singing, this is my story, right? The blessed assurance, as that resonated out, you're saying, this is my assurance. Christ overcame this world, right? This is what we're saying, but you can see how easy it is to go, you know what? If I question something of Scripture, well, quite quickly, I have to begin to question, right, the God of Scripture. My assurance immediately goes on shaky ground. And what's sad from this, as you see it cascade, where does it naturally go to? We can't trust anyone who says anything about it. We doubt God's witnesses. See, what we're doing is we're doubting or denying the character and attributes of God. We're, We're denying his power. We're saying it must be lacking. He has some power, but not all power. We're denying his truthfulness. Did he really say, right? That's, that's the lie that's in Eve's ears. Did he, you know, we have to deny his love. He cannot be trusted. Did he really love us? Did he really send his son? You see how it becomes into jeopardy. And then when someone's saying, you know, I'm struggling through some passages, why we must be open and honest with Scripture and come to it and say, well, if I'm struggling here, then let me dig in harder. Let me ask for help and not just walk away and say, I'm not so sure, forget it. Because that cascades. Once you've, you've questioned some of it, Right? And naturally, just by natural flow, this is where Paul goes, we question the authority of his word, we question what it says about who God is, and then naturally we question anyone who will say anything about it. See, we have to come to this point and say, well, Paul isn't being truthful. Now, this is not new to Scripture. You see this progression in Psalm 1. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, right? He doesn't, he doesn't walk by them. He doesn't stop because that's where it goes, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. See the progression. First, he, he stops walking by, right? Then he stands and hangs out with them for a little while. Pretty soon he's sitting in the seat of the scornful. And it's contrasted, but his delight, this person who's blessed, his delight, the law of the Lord, the authority of God, his law, his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Someone says, blessed is the person who comes back and says, God has authority. I may not fully understand how the Lord's going to bring this all about. What he has expressed in his word, I do believe. I also acknowledge he's incomprehensible. I understand that outside of this. I can't comprehend all of God, but what he's revealed, I do, I believe. There are moments where maybe we struggle through Scripture, and maybe Scripture has kept you awake at night, but I come back and say, nope, God, God has the ability, God has the authority. I haven't believed in vain. His grace to me wasn't a waste. He didn't mess up. He didn't mess up the, the plan. He did overcome this world. He did speak to his disciples. He did say these things, and I, like Paul, can say, I'm the chief of sinners, and yet he has redeemed my soul. I believe this. You know, what's amazing about the resurrection, speaking of Christ, is how every uh, person of the Trinity is acknowledged in this activity. Right? Galatians 1.1 says, The Father raised Jesus from the dead. First Peter, Peter says, The Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus also talked about that He will lay down His life. He will pick it up again. All three of them are active. All three of them have the authority. All three of them have the power. They are able See, the fault isn't upon this. See, that's, that's the humanness in us that comes and says, if it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. 
then, then maybe I can't believe it. So we have to come under Scripture and say, by faith, no, I believe. That doesn't mean turning your mind off. Now I'll never say that. I will say the complete opposite. You're to engage your mind in a harder way into Scripture. Scripture never, never moves away from doctrine. Paul never says, hey, you know what, guys, that's enough. Let's call it easy. I see smoke coming out of your ears. I don't think you can handle anymore. He never, ever says that. The very opposite. He goes into it. He struggles harder into the gospel. He creates a confessional statement saying, you should confess this. According to the scriptures, Jesus did this. That's where your hope is. He doesn't come to the Corinthians with, with this way of saying, here's empiricism or here's a way you can believe this. He says, no, here's the objective truth of the whole matter. This is who God is. He is able. Christ has overcome. He has all authority. That's who God is. That's your confidence. And we can rest in that. So Paul is simply saying, you know, to, to believe in Christ's resurrection, we are affirming who God is, what Christ has done, his ability, his authority. And my last point here, uh, verses 16 through 19, we are affirming God's faithfulness. He doesn't give in or give up on you. You may be struggling today. You may be working through some passages of Scripture. He's not going to give up on you. He says, for if the dead do not rise, right? You can imagine them reading this, going, man, that's rough. He says, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, those who have died. And if, I love how he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Christ's resurrection gives us real hope in life and death. God is faithful to this. <clears throat> gives us a real hope that's a sure hope. Sinclair Ferguson, writing about hope, he says, you know, we, we live, the Christian life is in a large measure determined. How you live today is determined by what we think about the future. I believe there will be a new heaven and new earth. It, it affects my living today. Putting it another way, he says, uh, the purpose behind God's revelation about the future is to transform the way we live in the present. You can have confidence today because Christ has overcome, because Christ is coming back, because you have a real hope. We understand the pains of life. We understand if the Lord should tarry, we may go to heaven by way of the grave. We understand that. We have a, a God who is faithful, who will not give up on us. We have a faith that is not worthless. Because that's the word. Futile. It's worthless. Think about it. How can we be saved if Christ wasn't raised? Another verse that talks about the, uh, God the Father raising Jesus, Romans 10, 9. That if you, we confess, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, the God of this world, lowercase g, says, did he really? And the God of Scripture, capital G, says, yes, he did. He's overcome 
and he is faithful. Listen to the Great Commission when Jesus is talking, the resurrected Jesus is talking to his disciples in Luke 24, 44 through 48. He says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me, right? That's what Paul is saying, according to the scriptures. He's telling his disciples, Jesus is speaking, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, right? And he's standing in front of them. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Do you realize that if Christ did not overcome, if he didn't rise from the grave, the whole great commission is now a waste, it's a loss. And we have the God of this world who is saying, lowercase g, God, all right, did he really? And scripture says, and Christ is saying, and Paul is preaching it, yes, he did. God is faithful. He has said he would send his son. His son did come. He said he would take upon this. He will read the scriptures. My messenger, he will come. He will deal with the sins. He has done that. He will overcome the world. He has done that. This is who he is. God has kept his side of the bargain. He's actually done a whole lot more, hasn't he? He fulfilled our side of the covenant. God delivered us from his own wrath. So what do we understand from this? What do we know? What do we have at this moment, today and forevermore? Well, A, I put, Christ is victorious. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, but he rose. We have loved ones who have gone on, right, in the faith, and they are believers. We have confidence they are with him. Because that's what God's word says, and if God said it, we can believe it. Today we can have the hope that we can head towards redemption and not towards destruction. If our hearts are prone to either grow towards God or away, well, today we have confidence Christ in his, victor- in his being victory over the grave. We have confidence in knowing that we can head towards redemption. Christ is ours presently. So even in our doubts and our fears and our struggles right now, we can be forgiven. Why should we pray, right? Well, he can forgive us. Right now we can, we can understand that death has been conquered, which Paul will wonderfully As we go on from this passage, Lord willing, he'll expand that for us. And right now we know that we have a hope that cannot be taken from us. We have authority as a church to proclaim, to be witnesses of Christ. Why? Because Christ overcame. He's victorious with us presently and with us eternally, if in this life only. If we just had him while we breathe, we are the most pitiable. The word pitiable simply means a person deserving of pity and views of one's miserable condition. You can imagine, that's like an exclamation point to all this, isn't it? <clears throat> I'm sure the Corinthian church, and I'm sure today you can, you can have a quick visual of someone who is, who is like that, to be pitied. They're in a miserable condition. He says every believer is this way if you only have Christ in this life. See, for the believer, we understand We understand there's purpose in the pain. We understand that God is shaping us to the image of his son. We understand that that he has saved us. 
and, and he is working in us, the good work he's begun, he'll be faithful to see it to completion. He doesn't give up on us. We understand that his faithfulness to us is not just today, but it's also for tomorrow. We understand that when God saved us, he didn't say, hey, here's, here's, here's salvation and 20 bucks, and, and I hope you figure it out. No, he walks with us daily. He's not a legend or a myth. He is a real savior, and he's overcome the world. And when you cry out to him and you call upon his name, he is a real presence. He's a real help in the time of trouble. That's who he is, and he is faithful to his church, and he's faithful to his children. Only God can take a sinful life, wash it in the blood of Christ, fill that person with his Holy Spirit, and make them a blessing to humanity. Only God can do this. Christ is our living hope. Our living hope. It is said that shortly before his death, Gandhi wrote, All about me is darkness. I am praying for light. We contrast that with the last words of the evangelist D.L. Moody. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. See, believing the resurrection, we're, we're affirming so much more than just the gospel, which is precious to every believer. We are affirming God's activity. We're affirming his ability. We are affirming that he has all power necessary to make promises and to keep them. We are affirming his authority and his word. We are trusting the sufficiency of his word, and we trust and affirm his faithfulness. God is always faithful. He will always be faithful. It's his attribute. He will always be faithful to God the Son. He will always be faithful to those whom his Son redeems. That's a fact. If you are in Christ, God will be faithful. Our scripture reading earlier, Psalms 95, I'd like to read a portion of it, 7 through 11. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me and tried me, though they saw my work, for 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts. And they do not know my ways, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See, it's okay today, church, to struggle with Scripture, to even question some of the things. We're not meant to stay there. We are to never come to a place where we grieve the Lord and say, Lord, I, I just don't believe you because it doesn't make sense to me. We're not to grieve the Lord and say, I'm not so sure you love us because I question the resurrection. God has patience and he is faithful. We are not to, to waver in the fact of God's ability, not to waver in the fact of his authority, and not to question or ever waver in the fact of his faithfulness. I know we go through things in life, and I know there are struggles, and I know there's, there's times of mystery where we scratch our head. I understand that. When we come, we affirm the resurrection that one day all this will be dealt with. God will take care of it. God is aware of your struggles. He's aware of your pain. He's aware of your sorrow. This is who he is. He doesn't love you from a distance. He loves you intimately. He loves you in Christ. Let us have that assurance. Let us be encouraged. Let us realize what we have. We are his children. 
he will be faithful. He has sent his son. His son has risen. Therefore, we have that future hope. We too will rise. Let me pray. Lord, we do thank you for this time that you've given to us again. As we've humbled ourselves and just come under your word. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is enlightening us and giving us understanding. And I pray, Lord, this day for um, this passage to resonate in us. And maybe, Father, this morning, if there's other areas where maybe we're just struggling, please let your spirit be at work. Bring understanding. Uh, encourage us and strengthen us. Help us not to, to wander off in doubt, but to find other brothers and sisters and connect where we can encourage and strengthen one another. Let us never come to a place, Father, where we, we would say our, our reasoning and our understanding is better than yours. Let our hearts not be dull, but let our eyes see and perceive, let our ears hear and understand now what your word says, that we would realize the connection between Christ overcoming the grave and our bodies being raised. Lord, thank you for that confidence. And I pray, Lord, you would just continue to grow us and strengthen us. And we pray this in the awesome name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.